Well, as Christians, we're excited just to be joining people all over the world this morning, literally at every corner of the world, who are taking time this weekend to celebrate the resurrection of our Savior and Lord Jesus Christ. Uh, You know the story. Jesus went to the cross and he died to pay the penalty for the sins of all mankind. He was buried in a borrowed tomb. Three days later, he rose from the dead to conquer sin and death once and for all. And because of that, our lives have been changed. And there are so many people in this room right now that could just walk across the stage and share a word with you and just confess these words. My life has been changed because of Jesus Christ. Because of the fact that Jesus rose from the dead and now lives inside of me through the power of the Holy Spirit, I'm a new person inside. I'm a changed life. However, many of these people would also tell you that before they made that decision to put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone to be their personal Savior, they had to wrestle through some questions. Does God really exist? Is Christianity really true? How how could salvation really be a free gift? I mean, I don't understand grace. Was Jesus really the son of God? Is he really the son of God? And, and, and did he really die and then rise from the dead? And if I could put some of you at ease this morning, I want you to know that there are, there are legitimate reasons for anyone to ask questions about the existence of God, about the truth of Christianity, the facts of Jesus, and the important question, could Christ truly have been resurrected from the dead? Well, in the Bible, in John chapter 20, the Apostle John reports, through the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, that Jesus had resurrected from the dead. And after that took place, Jesus made three personal appearances. He actually made four. One was accounted for in in John 21. But we're going to talk about three. He made three personal appearances to two different individuals and a group of men who were struggling to believe that Jesus could possibly have been risen from the dead. And there are three stories of life change. And what makes these stories so unique and so interesting is that these were Jesus's own followers. These were, the, were people that did life with him, who actually ate with him, who, who traveled with him, who taught, who taught, he taught them. He, he actually taught them that, that he was going to, to go to the cross, that he was going to suffer, that, that he was going to die, that he was going to rise from the dead and then ascend into heaven. And yet each one of them struggled with an emotion that caused them not to believe that, that it actually happened or, or could have ever happened. And these are, these are three amazing stories of Jesus pursuing these people and revealing himself very personally to, to either an individual or a group in a way that not only addressed their need, but it changed their life forever. It created a confidence inside of them and then changed them. The very first story involved a woman that Jesus knew very well. She was a, a close personal friend. Her name was Mary Magdalene. In John chapter 20, the Bible tells us that that Mary Magdalene came early to the tomb on Sunday morning when it was still dark. And when she got there, she noticed that the stone that had been placed in front of of, of Jesus' tomb had been rolled away from the entrance of the tomb. And so immediately she ran and she she got two of the other of Jesus' disciples, Peter and John. And she said, you've got to come back with me because this is not right. Something's going on here. Come with me to investigate the situation. And when they got there, they noticed that Jesus' body was gone. And his grave clothes were were lying on the place where they they had placed Jesus, placed his body. 
And in John chapter 20, verse 11, the Bible says, But Mary stood weeping outside the tomb, and as she wept, she stooped to look into the tomb, and she saw two angels in white sitting where the body of Jesus had lain, one at the head and one at the feet. And they said to her, Woman, why are you weeping? And she said to them, They have taken away my Lord, and I do not know where they have laid them, laid him. And having said this, she turned around and she saw Jesus standing, but she did not know that it was Jesus. And here's Mary Magdalene standing at the entrance of Jesus' tomb, struggling with grief, struggling with pain. And the Bible says she's weeping. And in verse 15, a resurrected Jesus approaches her and asks her, Woman, why are you weeping? Who are you looking for? And thinking that she was actually speaking to the gardener of the cemetery, she asks him, where have you taken his body? Tell me so I can recover his remains. And Jesus calls out her name, Mary. And all of a sudden, Mary recognizes him. And she cries out to him, teacher. And at the sound of Jesus' voice, the grief was gone. The pain of loss was taken away. The disappointment of having lost Jesus was erased. The suffering subsided. Mary believed that Jesus was dead. There was no hope of a resurrection. There was no hope that he was coming back. But when she saw the empty tomb and the idea that, that Jesus could have resurrected, I mean, it didn't even cross her mind that that could have taken place. And so we see her standing here and she's weeping, suffering with grief and pain and disappointment that Jesus was gone. gone. And here's what I love about this story. Out of all the people that Jesus could have appeared to, he chooses her. Out of all the stories that God could have started to tell us about, to, 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 to choose to tell us about in his word, he chooses this one. And I know that there are many of you in this room this morning that are struggling with some kind of grief or pain or maybe you're, you're dealing with some, some kind of suffering in your life right now. This past Friday, I was um, getting ready to go on a trip to Cuba. I was supposed to leave tomorrow to go to Cuba to be part of a conference. And um, I was going to be there till Saturday. And I got a phone call. Uh, from my youngest son, Zach, and he said, Dad, did you hear the news that that Jacob Broom was killed in an accident? Jacob is a young man, uh, he's 20 years old, graduated with my son Taylor two years ago from North Paulding High School, and I'd known Jacob, played against Jacob uh, in baseball. His dad coached, and I coached, and our teams played against each other since our boys were five years old, and and, and then we coached together, an all-star team, and then he coached my son in basketball in middle school, and then in eighth grade, our boys played together on a, on a feeder team, and they played together all through high school and, and were good buddies. And Jacob graduated with honors and, at, from North Pauling High School and, and went on to, it was, it was at Southern Poly studying to be an engineer. Just an amazing, an amazing young man. I mean, just the whole world in front of him. It was killed in a car accident in South Carolina on Friday. And Amy and I jumped in our car and um, we, went, we drove over to where his parents lived and walked up onto the front porch and they were just sobbing. We grabbed them and we cried together. And um, Amy and I left. They, they, they don't have a church home. I mean, they've been here a few times year, in years past, but uh, they didn't have uh, food. And so, you know, but 
a church was bringing them. So we went to Publix and we grabbed food and I was trying to figure out what to do. Joe had asked me, the dad, could you do the funeral? And I said, I'm supposed to leave for Cuba on Monday. I, I don't know what to do. So as we were driving, I said, Amy, I don't know what to do about this. And I called a couple pastor friends who live in this area and I said, here, and I, and I, but I yet just felt, I just felt in my heart that I was supposed to stay here because this was why God moved us here. This was a family that God moved us to reach. And so by the time I left Publix, I had decided in my heart that I was not going to go to Cuba tomorrow and that I was going to stay and do this funeral on Tuesday. And so when we got back to the house, I, I told Joe and Karen, and they just sobbed, and we, we cried. And then um, yesterday morning, I did what I have done way too often, way too many times. I stood in a funeral home with parents who are my age picking out a casket for a 21-year-old man. And I just stood there and I just shook my head, tears running down my face, and I just said, and I said, God, there's, there, there, there should just be no dad, no mom that ever, should ever have to stand in a room like this and do something like this. This is too much. This is too much for anyone to handle. You may be here this morning and, and your grief and your suffering and your pain has, has maybe caused you to not believe that Jesus could actually love you. Maybe for some of you, you're struggling with discouragement or maybe even disappointment. Maybe some of your disappointment is aimed at God this morning. Maybe your decision to not believe is because you simply can't make sense of all of the pain and suffering in the world. I mean, you look at a story like I just told you, and you're like, that doesn't even make sense. How could a God really exist who claims to love the world, allow all of this and something like that to actually happen? And yet... Here Jesus shows up to this woman who's weeping. He pursues her. She's filled with pain and despair, and all it takes is hearing his voice. And not only is she comforted, but it all begins to come together for her. She now believes that Jesus has, has risen from the dead. And with confidence and courage, she runs to, the, to tell the other disciples, I have seen the Lord. Now listen, I want you to know something. No Jewish author in ancient history would have ever invented a story with a woman being the first eyewitness to an incredible event like this. It just wouldn't have happened. But yet God puts this story in here to let you know that not only... Is he there for you in the midst of your suffering and your grief and your pain and your disappointment, but that he genuinely cares for you and that he wants to reveal himself to you as a risen Savior and Messiah who has conquered and overcome all that you are dealing with so that you could be an overcomer as well? Then we find him having a moment with the disciples. It's almost like a, a three-act play in John 20. In verse 19, it says, On the evening of that day, the first day of the week, the doors being locked where the disciples were there for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood among them and said to them, Peace be with you. Now remember the disciples had almost been arrested with Jesus the night that Jesus had been taken into custody. They are now hidden in fear somewhere in a room in Jerusalem. And Jesus, listen, Jesus doesn't just walk through the door, into the door. What, he, he walks through a locked door to show them the power of his resurrected body. 
They took one look at his nail-pierced hands and his, and his side, and their fear, the Bible says, turned immediately to joy. And I love what Jesus does next here. He recommissions them to be his witnesses. He recommissions them to be his, his, apostle, his apostles. There was no firm rebuke about the fact that they were hiding in fear. He didn't look at Peter and go, Peter, we need to have a talk. Do you remember what happened a few days ago? You were actually denying me, not once, but three times that you ever knew me. He wasn't rebuking them for, for, for some of them bailing out on him when he needed them the most. Instead, he shows them grace and he actually recommissions them. And then he does something amazing. He breathes the Holy Spirit into their lives to empower them to be able to boldly share the gospel and to withstand whatever they were getting ready to face. And then he gives them a message to proclaim. He gives them the terms of how someone can receive forgiveness and actually enter heaven. He says, guys, if one believes in Jesus as Savior and Lord, then they have the right to proclaim that they have been forgiven. But if a person rejects Jesus, then that person is not forgiven. What happened to the disciples after this? They fearlessly go out of this room and they boldly start a church and a movement called Christianity and the world has never been the same since. And some of you are stuck this morning in disbelief because of fear. Fear of unknown things about God. Fear of things that you may not quite understand. Fear, and, and fear, we need to know, fear can paralyze us. It can, it can paralyze us emotionally, it can paralyze us physically and even spiritually. And you may be here this morning with questions that have been triggered by fear. What if I receive Jesus Christ into my life and he lets me down? What if I can't, what if he can't truly forgive my past? There's just too much there. What if I mess up in the future? Listen, I want you to know that Jesus specializes in sinful pasts. He pursues messy people. And he has a plan to forgive not only your past and forgive your present sins, but our future sins as well. Jesus had been crucified and the disciples were gathered in a locked room hiding because they feared that they might be next. But Jesus pursued them. He came to them and he spoke words into their fear. He said, peace be with you. And their lives were changed. Listen, the Holy Spirit had not had a permanent indwelling presence in the lives of, of Christians up until this point. And Jesus breathes him into their lives. And these fearful men become radical renegades who boldly went out and they changed the world. And this morning, the peace of God and the power of the Holy Spirit is available to anyone that would put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior. And all of that was made possible because of the resurrection. And then finally, we move to our poor friend Thomas. Thomas has gotten a bad rap over the years, hasn't he? I mean, his claim to fame is to be a doubter. Verse 24, now Thomas, one of the 12 called the twin, was not with them when Jesus came. So the other disciples told him, we have seen the Lord. But he said to them, unless I see in his hands the mark of the nails and place my finger into the mark of the nails and place my hand into his side, I will never believe. And so eight days from the time that Jesus had resurrected from the dead, the disciples are once again gathered in a room and guess who shows up again? Jesus. 
And the Bible emphasizes once again that the doors were locked. But that doesn't stop Jesus because he comes right through the door or the wall, however he came in there, and stands in front of them and once again speaks these words over their life. Peace be with you. And then he turns to Thomas and he holds out his hands. And he says, Thomas, put your finger right here. You see my hands? Look at the nail holes in my hands, Thomas. And now, now, Thomas, I want you to take your hand and I want you to put it into my side where the Roman soldiers had thrown a spear into Jesus' side. And then I love what he says next to Thomas in John 20, verse 27. He says, do not disbelieve, but believe. And how does Thomas reply to that? He says, my Lord and my God. And Jesus said to him, have you believed because you have seen me? And then he says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Now, I think it's kind of a bummer to be a disciple of Jesus, to have walked around with him for three and a half years, and all you're ever known for is being a doubter, but that's what it is. It is what it is. Thomas, he's doubting Thomas. Some of you may have used that phrase before to describe someone else. You're just kind of like a doubting Thomas. But I want you to remember, Thomas had not been with the other disciples when Jesus first made his appearance to them. And so for eight days, the disciples have been ecstatic about the fact that they have seen Jesus. They are full of the Holy Spirit, but in their midst is poor Thomas. And you know these guys had to have been driving him nuts. I mean, Thomas, we've seen him. We're telling you it's true. We've seen him with our own eyes. He's alive, Thomas. You know that Mary Magdalene had to have been coming in going, Thomas, I'm telling you, I saw him too. Thomas is trapped in doubt and disbelief. And in his mind, there is absolutely no way a human being can come back from the dead. He knew how Jesus died. He knew how much Jesus had suffered. He had even heard Jesus talk about how he would resurrect from the dead, but he just couldn't believe it. He had to have proof. And Jesus knew Thomas was struggling with disbelief and doubt. And so he gave him proof. He met his need. He pursued him. He got to touch Jesus' hands and his side. He got to see with his own two eyes. And Thomas received a touch from a risen Savior, a risen Christ. And his life was changed. I would say the number one reason that people struggle with putting their faith and trust in Jesus Christ to be their personal Savior is doubt and disbelief. And some of you are here this morning and silently, as even as I'm speaking, you are struggling with the whole idea that a man named Jesus actually rose from the dead. There's a struggle going on inside of you of doubt and disbelief. And I want you to know, I could stand up here all day long and I could read passages of scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 where the apostle Paul talks about the resurrection. I could read a verse that a lot of other pastors all over the world are reading to you, to to churches this morning from 1 Corinthians 15, 17 that says, and if Christ has not been raised, your, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. In other words, if the resurrection is not true, then we're all wasting our time. I could go through the evidence that we have that proves that it actually happens. Written scripture, an empty tomb that I have seen with my own eyes, empty grave clothes, post-resurrection appearances to over 500 different people, fulfilled prophecies, 700 years in the book of Isaiah before it ever happened, a thousand years in the book of Psalms before it ever happened. But I don't think anything speaks more loudly than a changed life. 
People have argued and debated over the, Bibles, the Bible for century, centuries. But it's hard to argue with a changed life. And yet I want you to know that this auditorium is full, is full of people, many of whom you know, who at one time were lost in sin with absolutely no hope of eternity in heaven. And yet God pursued them, came to them, spoke to them, and they put their faith and trust in Jesus Christ alone for salvation. And they receive forgiveness of sins. And now they are different people because Jesus Christ has changed their life. Out of all of the time that Jesus spent on this earth, even though we know he appeared to over 500 people, the Gospel of John only records four encounters. And three of them are here in John chapter 20. You say, why didn't he include more? Why didn't God put more stories in here? Why, 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 why don't we know more about what Jesus was doing after the resurrection? Why can't we have more stories about what was going on during this time? Well, I believe that God wanted to show us the power of the resurrection, how the power of an interaction with a risen Savior had the ability to change a life. Mary Magdalene couldn't believe that Jesus had actually risen from the grave. She was trapped in grief. She was trapped in her pain, in her sorrow, in her suffering, in her disappointment. And yet at the sound of Jesus' voice, she believed and she was a changed woman. The disciples were paralyzed by fear. And yet when they found themselves in the presence of Jesus, now filled with the Holy Spirit, their fear was gone and their lives were changed. And Thomas, filled with doubt and disbelief, and yet at the touch of Jesus, he was released from all of it. Thomas was a changed man. Now, some of you might be thinking here this morning or saying, listen, I need more evidence. I just, I just need more proof. Here's how John ends this chapter. In verse 30, says, now Jesus did many other signs in the presence of the disciples which are not written in this book. But these are written. These are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. In other words, John writes, I shared with you the life of Jesus before his death. I wrote about that. I talked with you. I wrote down what the Holy Spirit gave me about what took place during his death. I've now talked about what happened after his death. I've shared with you three amazing stories of how an encounter with a resurrected Jesus has the power to overcome pain and grief and sorrow and suffering and disappointment and fear and doubt and even disbelief. And you are either going to believe or you're not going to believe. But I've given you enough evidence in these writings to believe. To believe that Jesus is the Son of God, that he is the Savior of the world, and that he has truly risen from the dead. See, at the end of the day, listen, at the end of the day, you're still going to experience, Christian or not, you're still going to experience suffering and grief and pain and sorrow and disappointment and fear and doubt in this life. And so how in the world, how can we follow the words of Jesus and move from unbelief to believe, how can I go from being an unbeliever to being a believer? See, regardless of what you're dealing with this morning, what it really all comes down to is faith. John says this is a faith journey. 
Jesus says this in John 20, 29. He says, blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. He said, what is faith? Faith in Hebrews chapter 11, verse 1 says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. The message version writes it this way. The fundamental fact of existence is that this trust in God, this faith is the firm foundation under everything that makes life worth living. It's our handle on what we can't see. The act of faith is what distinguished our ancestors and set them above the crowd. For those of you that are already believers, but you're struggling, you came in to this room, to this auditorium this morning, you are struggling. You have been away from God. You are struggling in your faith this morning. Listen, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want you to go back to that moment where God met you, where he pursued you, where he came and, and spoke into your life, maybe met a need, convinced you, where he revealed himself to you. And, I, and you need to, right now, Move forward in the power of the resurrection. You have resurrection power in your life right now to overcome anything that this life may throw at you. The Holy Spirit in your life is just that powerful. And you need to move forward. It's your choice to believe that by faith. For those of you who are here this morning who have never trusted Jesus to be your personal Savior... Here's what the Bible says in Romans chapter 10, verse 9. It says, if you declare with your mouth, Jesus is Lord, and catch this, and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. This morning, a risen Savior offers his grace to you. Do you deserve it? Not on your best day. But the question is, will you believe and receive it by faith? Ephesians 2, 8, 9 says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. In other words, it's by faith. And you can't take credit for this. It's a gift from God. Salvation's not a reward for the good things that we have done so that no one can boast about it. You may have walked into this auditorium this morning and you have realized at this moment I walked in an unbeliever. And my question to you is, will you believe? Will you believe that Jesus Christ is the Lord? That he is the son of God? That he, was, he died on a cross? He was buried and he rose again three days later. Will you believe that? Will you put your faith and trust in that? Will you ask him to be your savior? Will you ask him to forgive you of your sins? Will you move from unbelief to belief? How do I do that? By faith. I want to ask you to bow your heads right now for just a moment. If that's where you are at this moment, and you are recognizing and realizing, you know what, I'm sitting here, and God is speaking to my heart. I, I may have never felt like this before in my life, but I know that I am at this very moment God's pursuing me. He's drawing me to himself. This is my moment. I want you to pray with me. You say, Lord Jesus, at this very moment, I believe. By faith, I accept you into my life. 
What you did for me on the cross was enough. You died on the cross for my sins. I should have been on that tree, but you did it for me. And then you rose from the dead to conquer sin and death. And I put my faith and my trust in what you have done for me. And I ask you to be my personal savior. Lord, I need forgiveness of sins. I'm asking for you that, for that right now. I need a savior. I believe. Jesus, you are the son of God. And I put my trust in you right now. And I receive salvation as a free gift into my life. Listen, if you just prayed that with me, I want you to know you are a changed life.